Kansas Jayhawks were a victory over Kansas City on Saturday away from probably becoming the nation's number one ranked team. But is KU the best team in college basketball? Jesse Newell breaks down the program that hasn't lost since the opener to Duke and tells us what lies ahead for the Jayhawks on Sportsbeat KC presented by Big O Tires. It's December 13th, a Friday, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Also, it's only been two games, but the excitement is building for Drew Locke as the Denver Broncos quarterback. The former Mizzou and Lee Summit High standout has won his first two starts. And Cecil Lammy of 104.3, the fan in Denver, discusses what Locke's success means for the organization. But first, here's Jesse on KU. Jesse covers the Jayhawks. How you doing, Jesse? Doing good, Blair. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Hey, if the, if Kansas gets through Saturday's game without an upset, chances are they're going to find themselves as the nation's top-ranked team on when the polls are out on Monday. Is this the nation's best team? <laughs> well, you're asking an AP voter, uh, Blair. Just you happen to be asking one of the 64. I'll go though. straight straight uh, to the source on this. Exactly. Privileged people out there that get to determine this and make every single fan base upset out there. You know, uh, for me, Blair, they, they are not just based off of the, my ballot from last week. And I had Ohio State number one, Louisville number two, and Kansas number three. Obviously, with Louisville's uh, pretty bad loss this past week, Kansas will likely move up to two with a win over UMKC this weekend. But, um, you know, the way I do it, I, I love to look at some of the advanced metrics out there, the ones that look at every possession and um, I think it's going to be either Ohio State or Kansas for almost every single voter. It seems like those are kind of the two teams that move to the top of the list. But the way that Ohio State has played against some of the very top competition out there, I think uh, I don't think it's a bad decision or the wrong decision to put them at the top at this moment. But having said all that, I you know from talking with Bill Self lately and hearing his comments about his players and then also his team, I think he's pretty happy with where his his team is at right now, where his program's at right now. I mean, if you think about all the drama that's gone on uh, with this program, you know, you can talk about off-court stuff, you can talk about players, you can talk about, you know, guys that stay with the team or don't stay with the team and, and all those sorts of things that have happened lately. Um, this has been sort of a smooth ride over the first couple week or couple weeks and first couple months of the season where KU lost to Duke in the opener, which was unexpected and, um, you know, had all those turnovers kind of the way they lost was unexpected. But ever since then, KU's just sort of, Cruise along. They've gotten a little bit better. Udoka's played well. The defense has been good at times. They won the Valley Invitational. So um, whether KU is number one or number two, I think they will be number one because they got received a lot of the uh, number one votes last week and a lot of number two votes as well. Whether they're number one or number two, I think the most important thing is that Bill Self is pretty happy with the progress of the program and feels like, uh, knock on wood, I guess, for the KU basketball program, they haven't hit many skis up so far. It's not a bad thing to be ranked number one. Kansas has been number one many times uh, throughout the uh, throughout the Bill Self era, and before then uh, they finished number one um, a, a few times in, um, in 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 the final AP poll. And, and right now they are number two in AP, but there, but Ohio State did jump them in the coaches' poll last week. I noticed so uh, Louisville was one, Ohio State two, and Kansas just by a couple of votes, three votes. I'm seeing. Uh, is, is number three in the coaches poll. So yeah, I, I can see a split decision from, um, from the AP and the coaches poll if, if that's the way it goes. I don't know who Ohio State is playing this week and if they have a chance to be impressive again, but, but you're right. The, the win in North Carolina alone for Ohio State was eye opening to go into, uh, the Smith Center and win by 25 like they did 
that was that was really um, really interesting. And, and I think the the Big Ten ended up beating the ACC in in that challenge series or winning most of the game. So if if for some reason Kansas isn't number one on Monday, I don't I don't think it's a you know I don't think the Kansas fans will have much to complain about. But it is a nice thing. When when was the last time KU was number one in the polls? That's a good question. It would have had to have been uh, a couple years back at least. Yeah, I mean it was it was not last year. So uh, it's been a little while for Kansas, and obviously they had some preseason expectations, um, you know, both last year and the year before. So it might have been more recently than we saw, but it also sort of speaks to for Kansas um, the way the program has been. I I, I told Gary Bedore this as I was looking up the other day. It's you know I've been around the program, I've covered the program, but sometimes. When you go back and look at these things, it's just amazing what you're looking at. You know, a lot of what we were talking about this past week is KU just won its 300th game of the decade. Um, that's second only to Gonzaga when it comes to wins from 2010 to 2019. But, you know, I, I just pulled up a, a KU page to look at what their seeding was year by year because Bill Self was sort of talking about the consistency and the success of the program. And, I mean, it's just almost silly. You almost laugh out loud when you read aloud. The, the seeding that KU has gotten in the NCAA tournament here in this decade. I mean, I can, let, let me read it off real quick. 2010, one seed. So you go one seed, one seed, two seed, one seed, two seed, two seed, one seed, one seed, one seed, and then last year, a four seed. So, so that was definitely a down year for Kansas last year. <laughs> it's We're a not disaster. We'll say one or two over the course, uh, you know, after going down over the course of the entire rest of the decade. But it just really does make you stop and think and, and go, wow. I mean, the success and the sustained success in the regular season that Bill Self has had and his coaching staff and the way they've been able to keep this program at the very top levels for so long, it really is kind of an amazing feat. Well, and, and, uh, and of course, they won the Big 12 in all but one of those years, uh, last year being the, the exception. But every year, you know, from 2010 on and even what the previous, uh, you know, several years before that, uh, Big 12 champion for, for KU. So let's, let me, um, uh, run down a few players here. Let's, let's talk about a few different guys. You, you mentioned, uh, Yudoka Azabuki and, uh, he is, um, he's shooting a cool 82% from the field right now, uh, taking a lot of high percentage shots. Has he taken a shot outside of the, outside of the paint this year? <laughs> he might have, but uh, he probably shouldn't have if he did just because of how efficient he's been and how good he's been when he is within, you know, five feet of the basket or whatever. And, yeah, I mean, again, this is sort of what's rare about Bill Self. When you cover Bill Self enough, you understand kind of the pattern and the ebbs and flows of every season that they go through because what his ultimate goal is is he wants his guys as close to their feeling as possible. And so he knows how to push buttons to motivate guys, and he knows maybe they're struggling when to back off of guys. And so he uses, you know, public comments about as well as any coach I've seen out there. And so – it's a sort of an, a strange moment for Kansas because when Bill Self is being asked about Udoka as a bookie right now, he just sort of says, yeah, he's doing great. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not <laughs> something we're used to hearing from Bill Self because he does. He always in his mind, he wants to challenge players. He wants to bring the best out of them. But like when Udoka pulls down 17 rebounds in a game after he's being challenged to rebound better and when he's become a better rim protector and when he's becoming a better passer when he gets a double team and when he's making 80-whatever percent of his shots and at least occasionally showing that he can hit a free throw, I mean, what's there to complain about? You know, like, if you're Bill Self, at some point you're just going to sound kind of silly if you got in the public and say, well, Udoka is not, you know, name something he's not doing well because for the most part he's doing about everything well. So 
for Kansas, this is really a great scenario to have. I mean, he's the sort of player that not many teams have. He's lost weight over the offseason, which seems to have made him more explosive when it comes to protection. His block percentage is way up this year as compared to his previous stints. And again, knock on wood for Kansas, he's been healthy. That's kind of been the big bugaboo for him. Not that he hasn't been dominant, it's just that he hasn't been able to stay on the court. So, so far, so good for him. I mean, I don't think he could have asked for much more out of him at this point. Maybe there's going to be, as I mentioned before, he bumps ahead for him. But at this point, he's doing great inside. He's finishing at the rim. He's getting to the free throw line. He's rebounding. He's blocking shots. And he's also creating a lot of defensive attention from other teams, which is opening up KU for shots on the perimeter. And so far, he's made a lot of open three-pointers because of him. So, yeah, I think they've gotten all they can ask for. You know, guys, a bookie, and if the trajectory kind of stays like this, I think Bill Self is going to be pleased for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think that the fact that uh, McCormick couldn't come up with a rebound or not many rebounds the other day against Milwaukee was because uh, Doak was was getting them all. I mean, it was uh, uh, it, it was a, what an encouraging sign to see that part of his game develop. You know, he you know in eight in in, in eighteen when his last full season, the seventeen eighteen season. Uh, he, he had the led the nation in field goal percentage and it was the second best, uh, field goal percentage in, in NCAA history for a season. And if this pace continues, this would be the best, uh, at 82%. But it always occurred to me that for a guy his size, he wasn't, you know, he just didn't dominate the boards the, the way you might suspect someone, uh, of his size would. But for, what a good sign to see him just go after loose balls and, and, uh, and, and, and just come up with a good rebounding total. He just seems like a guy that should be in double-digit figure rebounding just based on his strength. Yeah, based on his size, and you look at him and you say, that's a, a monster of a man in there. And what it'll do for Kansas moving forward, if that does happen, is it makes it a little bit easier for Bill Self to put in a four-guard lineup. Just because, hey, you know the advantage if you're putting David McCormick and you don't guys Zabuki on the court together. We just mentioned what David does best, and this is what he does best. He's a great rebounder. And so um, if those two guys are sort of fighting for boards or – or kind of clearing space underneath, and you have two really good rebounders on the court at the same time, and maybe Udoka's numbers are a little bit deflated artificially just because he's he's, not, he's losing rebounds to a teammate, which really is not going to hurt Kansas that much in the long run. But Bill Self you know, made a point to mention how Udoka was rebounding outside his area. It's something he's wanted to see from him and just sort of the energy to go get the ball. I mean, I think a lot of times with Udoka, it's just, as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of just having that focus and having Bill Self, as I mentioned before, push the right button, say the right things to get his guys motivated. And for Yudoka, when he focuses in on something, he's usually pretty good at it. And uh, that was the case definitely in KU's last game um, this past week when going up against Milwaukee. And something else to watch moving forward, I mean, it seems like I write about this maybe three or four times a year, but Yudoka's made 11 straight field goals. So we'll see if he can <laughs> kind of continue that thing going against UMKC. It's just crazy to say these sorts of things, but I, I wrote out, on Twitter, like, oh, he's made nine straight. I want to get that out there before he misses one, and, and he made two more in a row. So um, we we have these streaks with Udoka where you know it's really rare for him to make three or four straight free throws, but it's not so rare for him to make ten or so in a row consecutive field goals. So that's just the type of player he is, and this kind of the dominant force he is when he can get that ball uh, down there within two or three feet. Okay, so when, when did Ochai Avaji become Steph Curry? Is what I want to know. Um, the guy can't seem to miss from three these days. What a what a nice uh, development in in his game. Yeah, he uh, he is a guy that could really help Kansas. I mean, if you look at sort of the pieces that they have, 
you're sort of getting what you think you're going to get out of most of the guys. You know, Udoka's playing well. Devon has stepped up his game this year. Um, and I wrote about that um, this week, just about how he is taking on more of an offensive load and has become an efficient scorer. Husky actually has made some of his strengths even better this season, you know, driving to the rim, getting to the free throw line, things like that. Uh, Marcus Garrett's going to be your defender, and he's not going to do much offensively uh, unless he's, uh, he needs to in a certain matchup. And then, uh, you know, Isaiah Moss is a sharpshooter. Uh, Dave McCormick's a rebounder. So all these guys, you kind of have pigeonholed into these roles, but they're performing pretty well. But Ochai, with his athleticism, uh, man, it just seems like there's more potentially there for him if he can kind of take that and seize it. And uh, credit to him, he worked a lot on his shot in the offseason. I wrote about that in one of the preseason games earlier on, just about how he quickened up his release, and now instead of going taking the ball, just a vision that's in your head, instead of going from his waist down to his knees, then back up to his waist and then over his head. Now he's catching the ball at waist level and just going straight up with his shot with a high follow-through, and that's quickening things up. So he can get his shot off a little bit more quickly. He has a more consistent release than he did a year ago. And, yeah, as of right now, he's in that 40 to 41% range when it comes to three-point shooting with a couple good nights at home this, you know, the last couple weeks. So, yeah, it's really big for him. It's really big for Kansas because uh, Bill Self has mentioned this where, it used to be you wanted to have two good shooters on the floor at the same time, you know, talking in like the early 2000s or, you know, going into the, the early 2010s. The game's changed now. Um, with Yudoka Azubuki out there, it really is preferential to have three good shooters out there. And with all the attention that he gets, coaches have to take away something. And we heard this from Tad Boyle. We heard this from, you know, Milwaukee's coach this last game. Basically, those guys said, hey, you have to, you have to try to game plan against something. And so, um, the decision is you try to double team Joe Kazabuki. And if Ochai's making shots, you know, you almost just shrug your shoulders and say, Ochai makes shots. So that's a really big weapon for Kansas to have. If they can have that inside game be so effective that it opens up the outside and Ochai Abaji can hit threes alongside Isaiah Moss, then K you really could have something going offensively and something even more so than they've shown in the early portions of this season. Yeah, 9 for 14 the last two games, one of which was against a ranked Colorado team. I think he was 5 for 8 against against the Buffs. That that is that that's a a real nice development for for Kansas and we we've gone this far without uh without mentioning or really uh, spending any time on the Big 12 leading scorer and that's Devon Dotson. And what um you know, it just seems he is Probably the most consistent guy on, on this team. Coming up big, scoring double-digit figures in every game that he's played this season, shooting 50% uh, from from the field, and he is the best free throw shooter. Um, if, uh, if if Doak isn't the team MVP through you know through the first quarter of the season, almost a third of the season, it's uh, it's Devon Dotson. Um, I, I, I kind of peg him as the most indispensable player for KU. Am I, am I right about that? I would say so. I, I think it's so weird to say this because there are high expectations for Devon coming into the season, but I think he's been a little bit overlooked just because everybody's been talking about Yudoka, and rightfully so. You know, Yudoka lost the weight. He's a rebounding monster. He's a block shot. He's free field goal percentage is unprecedented, basically, in, in NCAA history, but if you take a close look at the numbers, like you talked about, Blair, Devon Dotson's averaging 20 points a game. <laughs> you know, like, and and the difference between Devon and Yudoka is, uh, we can talk about how dominant Yudoka is within three feet of the bucket and how much um, attention he receives, which both of those things are true and help you run an offense. But Devon Dotson, 
can do this on his own. You know, I mean, Yudoka needs somebody to set him up. He needs to pass. He needs the ball to be swung side to side. He needs to create an angle, which is part of him, but also part of his teammates getting him the ball and making sure um, that he can finish those plays because by the time he dunks the ball, his work is done. Devon Dawson, what he's been doing is, oh, I'm going to drive to the rim. You know, I, I get an open alley that maybe those up great for me, but then I have to do the hard work of going to the other side and reversing it in or figuring out whether I should, you know, drive right or drive left or finish with my left hand or my right hand. And he's just been so good. Again, getting to the free throw line more often this year, um, that's been a great strength of his. He's definitely upped um, the offensive load he's had to take on for this team and while maintaining his efficiency and all that, you know, still while not shooting three-pointers as well as you think he might be able to over the course of the season. So, yeah, the up, the up free throw rate, the up free throw percentage, his passing is okay. I mean, it still can get better, but, um, you know, it, it's still just he's not a great doesn't have great vision, honestly, and he's not a great lob thrower. I know Bill Self um, he gets frustrated by that, that he thinks that this team should have even more dunks than they have just because they don't throw the lobs very well. But I think what Devon Dawson has done, I wrote about this at the Kansas State Star this week, is just he's made his strength better. So he's finishing at the rim better in half-court settings, and he's definitely upped what he can do when it comes to getting to the foul line and making his free throws there. So I would say indispensable absolutely for Kansas, and I think will not run as smoothly if he ever did I have to miss for an injury or whatever the case might be just because uh, he's uh, the one guy at the point guard position that Bill Self really trusts, and I think he's also trying to become a better leader for this Kansas team. Uh, but part of the reason he came back to Kansas to show those leadership skills, and I, I don't think we're going to see Devon Dawson and Lawrence next season. I think he probably made a wise, wise decision to come back. I think like he's going to be an NBA player at this point next season. Wow. Um, weakness, lob throwing. That's uh, That would... Uh, uh, if you're doing everything else well and you can work, work on your lob throwing a little bit, uh, I, I think you, I, I think you're having a pretty good season. <laughs> and, and, and the one, did he, did he throw the one to Ochai, uh, the other night? I guess that was the highlight reel play. Yeah, he did. And, um, honestly, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a great pass. Ochai got no. about waist high and, and had to reverse right. it in, I think. They put a little flare on it, but, you know, the thing about that, too, is it doesn't have to be perfect with Ochai, which is what we were talking about with the athleticism. It's just, I mean, man, that guy is so physically gifted. He's still learning the game. You can tell as well. Sometimes his instincts in transition um, make Bill Self, you know, want to want to throw things on the sideline just because um, it doesn't always look natural. But, man, Ochai, uh, he can jump. He can run. He can leap. He is uh, an amazing uh, athletic specimen out there when he's on the court. And uh, so Devon, for Devon, for, you know, you're throwing lobs to Ochai and you're throwing lobs to Yudoka Azabuki. These throws don't have to be perfect, you know what I mean? Like, if you put them in the general area, those guys can dunk them, and that's one advantage that Kansas definitely has. All right, Jesse, let's take a break here, and when we come back, you'll hear from Bill Self speaking to playing at Sprint Center, where the Jayhawks uh, will meet Kansas City, uh, once known as UMKC, on Saturday, strange tip-off time, 4 o'clock. But uh, but Bill Self addressed the sort of the lack of energy playing in in that building in Kansas City after this break. You'll hear from Bill. The biggest sale of the year is happening now at Big O Tires. Buy two tires, get two free on select tires in stock. That's two free tires when you buy an alignment and tire protection package. That's fifty percent off tires at Big O Tires. It's going on now, but it all ends soon. Buy two tires, get two free at all participating Big O Tires. Installation additional, plus shop fee of up to 10% of non-discounted retail price, not to exceed $35. Hurry, sale ends Monday, December 23rd. 
Can mm-hmm. you talk about your team's performances over the years since you've been here uh, in Kansas City? Sucks, uh, for the most part. Uh, uh, we haven't played well in this game. Uh, histor- I mean, historically, in, in my time here, well, we've won many of them, but they have not. Like last year, we beat, we 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 crushed New Mexico State and beat them one. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of games, even going back to the Kemper. You know, when we played in Kemper, that were that were just kind of boring games, uh, uh, and there's not as much energy. And and I think that's one of the challenges we need to bring Saturday is to bring that energy. Uh, 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 it's not that the, the attendance is poor. It's not that fans are bad. It's not anything like that. It's just that I think that when you get outside your building in a neutral site type setting, even though it's not totally neutral, but it could be this this week, I think, you know, sometimes people want to be entertained. Uh, and then when you don't play well or, or play boring and they're not entertained, I think it can become kind of a dull atmosphere. And I think that's kind of what we've had over there. We haven't had that problem in the, in the Big 12 tournament. But but certainly when, when there's when there's more energy and that kind of stuff. But in this particular game, it hasn't been a, a great game for us uh, uh, as far as us playing well. Now, there's some advantages of playing in Kansas City, obviously, that we like. But but in, but as far as us bringing the same energy, I don't think we've done that consistently. Okay, Jesse, that was Bill Self um, uh, speaking uh, to a question about playing in Kansas City, which is certainly the the Kansas Jayhawks home away from home. The very first game that Kansas basketball ever played was in Kansas City. They played a um, you know, probably about, I don't know, sixth or seventh of their games all time in Kansas City when you, when you add in the, the tournament play and, and, uh, regular season play. But I, I thought it was an interesting answer that he gave about, uh, finding, you know, having to create energy and, and, uh, and it's, it hasn't, it hasn't felt like a, a home court advantage to, at least to him over the years. What did you, what did you make of his comments? Yeah, I think he's right from being over there um, in a lot of these games. And I think he's specifically talking about this December game that happened. It's part yeah. of the season ticket package every year. Um, but, you know, the Big 12 tournament comes, and there's just a little bit different excitement. And when you get other fans in the building, there kind of is this one-upsmanship that happens. And we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, Blair, when we when we talked about the Maui Classic. You know, it, the Maui invite is so great, and that Lahaina Civic Center is so great because you have basically half and half of the fans, and they start trying to outdo each other. And nobody's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and watch a basketball game. Everybody's like, I'm into this thing because if not, the Dayton fans are going to cheer louder than me. And so I think what's happened for Kansas in this particular game is when they face UMass or when they face Davidson or when they face Oregon State or Washington State. It's basically all KU fans in there and all KU fans that don't have the same sort of energy or enthusiasm because they're not in Allen Fieldhouse. There's not kind of all the ambiance that comes with that. And so potentially one thing I think that could help Kansas in this game is that um, I don't know if UMKC or Kansas City or whatever we want to call them is going to have a ton of fans in there, but if there's a little bit of buzz, a little bit of energy, that might actually encourage KU fans to, to make a little bit of noise and, and not be won by a, a very small fan base that's going to be playing in its hometown. So uh, for KU, maybe this will kind of be a blessing in disguise, but I, I think that they play okay there in the NCAA tournament and they play okay there in the Big 12 tournament, as it's been shown over the years. It's just this particular December game, a lot of times this has tripped them up just because it seems like 
it, it should be sort of a semi-home game, but it ends up being a completely dead atmosphere, and Katie kind of gets taken by surprise. So we'll see if it changes this year against UMKC, and if there is a little bit better atmosphere, then I wouldn't be surprised if Katie maybe in the future decides to make UMKC the, the kind of annual game there, just because um, at the risk of, of playing that game and losing, you'd rather just play an opponent that you know you can beat and maybe have a little bit more energy in the building. Well, if that was the case, if if um, if there is some energy based on the opponent on Saturday, I think uh, Kansas City would love to play Kansas at Sprint Center on a, on a regular basis. Did you know this is the very first game Kansas City will have played at Sprint Center? The um, uh, Municipal Auditorium has been their kind of off and on home over the years. They're back at Sweeney Rec on, on campus. And they played the old Mid-Continent Tournament at Kemper Arena. So the program has played in the in the venues in Kansas City uh, through the years, but never at Sprint Center, which opened in uh, in 2007. I, I want to say the, maybe it was the six seven season, and uh, and it's been a long time. Uh, uh, obviously, for that for that building to exist too long, it seems to me for UMKC not to have played there. So it'll be fun to see that program in in the building. You know, a few miles from their campus, they uh, the the Roos are off to a five and six start this season. They um, uh, they actually got uh, won a couple of games in a in a in a, in a tournament, beating among others uh, George Washington um, under first year coach Billy, Billy Donlin. Billy is uh, former head coach at Wright State and re- replaced Kareem Richardson this year. It's a um, you know they're they're just looking for some success there. Of course, this is a uh, a Rue program that's never been to the NCAA tournament. It's never been to the championship game of its conference tournament, and they're they're trying to get uh, trying to find a new spark with the with a new coach. And their leading scorer, um, if, if I'm pronouncing his first name right, Javen White, uh, transfer from Clemson, is their 6'10 player's uh, leading scorer and rebounder, 12 points a game uh, for for him. Uh, I suspect we'll try to see what some programs do when they when they play in a game like this. Slow the game down, try to win some um, you know win possessions uh, by extending them, and then trying to get a decent shot toward the end of a shot clock. I think if you're a you know if you're a program like Kansas City that's you know that's a low major, and I don't know where they are in Ken Palm. Uh, uh, in the rankings, I expect somewhere in the in the 200s, that, uh, that that's that's the only way you, you can play this game, isn't it? You, you're not going to run with KU. Yeah, probably not. And um, honestly, if you're a new coach or if you're a coach, like you talk about Billy Donlin being, this might just be an opportunity for you to to do what you do and, and see how it fares against Kansas. That's a great opportunity, obviously, for the Ruse just to, to face a school like that. And they've hung in with some other opponents. I mean, we we have to mention that. You know, they. Lost at Oklahoma State by 18. They um, they just faced uh, at Iowa State. That was a pretty close game uh, midway through the second half at Iowa State. And so you know, I, for them, yes. I mean, if you look at what Kansas right now, Kansas has very good interior defense. And so teams almost 50 percent of shots against Kansas this year have been from three point range. So the last four opponents for KU have shot 33, 33, 34, and 35 threes. It's almost like you're kind of trying your hand a lot, or you're saying, okay, well, um, you're not going to get layups and dunks against Kansas anyway, so you might as well hire from three. If you get lucky and they go in one night, then maybe you have um, a magical day and a magical result where you're pushing Kansas to the, to the very end uh, of the game and have a chance to win it at the end. This doesn't look like a UMKC team that really loves to shoot threes, so um, that's not really an advantage on their part, but they can turn you over a little bit. They, they're pretty good when it comes to steal rate. They, you know, 
have done a decent job on the defensive glass. And as you mentioned, they're they're kind of in the mid 200s. This is going to be a rebuilding job for Donlin. I think he probably went into this uh, gig no, eyes wide open, knowing what he was going to be taking on. But for UMKC, I just think you probably just embrace the moment, play who you. You play your style, you be who you are, and yeah, you don't want Kansas to run up and down the court on you. You want to limit transition as much as you can, but uh, you also have to be opportunistic. And if is going to give you some easy baskets, you might as well try to take them, because otherwise it's going to be very difficult to score inside against some of the length that Kansas has, and as I mentioned before, the uh, shot-blocking Yudok uh, Azabuki, who's been very good as a rim protector so far for Kansas this year. Okay, so, uh, yeah, last time out, Kansas City actually led at halftime at Anthony State before losing by nine. Uh, first-ranked opponent for uh, for the Ruse since losing at Wichita State in 2017. Hey, Jesse, before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask you about a former Jayhawk who was in the news this week for his NBA play, and that's Devontae Graham. Um, what, what, a, what an amazing game he had. Uh, for the for Charlotte uh, Hornets against the, the the Brooklyn Nets, where he dropped in 40 points, um, knocked down a lot of threes, brought his team back from from a big deficit to to win the game. I don't know how much of the Jayhawks in the NBA you follow, but this was a you know, this was an eye opening performance by Devonte Graham, the second year pro who spent you know a lot of a lot of last year in the G League. Uh, did um, uh, what's what, what's the story on Devontae in the NBA? How how can how could a guy who was a second round pick and um, uh, you know and, and didn't factor in much at all last year turn around and have a game like he had this week? Yeah, it's amazing. He might be made one of the stories of the NBA this year just based off what he's done and you got some people out there even lobbying for him to become an All Star. That's going to be very tough in the Eastern Conference just because there's so many talented players there, but. Uh, yeah, when you're dropping in 40 and when you're um, hitting game-winning shots at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, I mean, he's opened up a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, he's a second-round pick out of Kansas. I think a lot of what you would assume the downsides to him were were brought up in the draft process, which was he was an older prospect. You know, he was 23 when he left Kansas. He had a year of prep school. Um, you know, he was a, a good three-point shooter, but I, I don't think he really you would consider him excelling at anything outside of that. I mean, he was a good defender, not a great defender, and he's a good ball handler, but not a spectacular one. He's a little bit undersized defensively. You know, probably always have that going against him, especially at the NBA level. But I think what you've seen from him in the NBA is just it's the value of shooting and what he does at an elite level that so few people do is he can shoot threes off the dribble. And uh, mm. if you want to just list off guys that can do that and have that skill set your list is pretty short and you obviously start with a guy like Steph Curry and that just makes it so difficult. I mean, if you watch his highlights and, and watch the defenders who are trying to get up on him, there's just very little you can do. I mean, he, he's acting like he's going to drive. He takes a couple steps in and then immediately pulls back for, you know, a 27, 28 foot jumper. And if you can do that, if you can make that shot, it's almost unguardable and that's three points. And so uh, for Devonte, however, he's worked on his shooting or however he's trained with Charlotte. And obviously he got into a, a decent situation there close to home, all those sorts of things. But um, he possesses, he possesses a very elite offensive skill right now. One that I would say only a handful of players have to his level in the entire world. So that's really what's been the key to his rise and allowed him to maybe overcompensate for some of the other things he doesn't do as well. But if you can be that type of scorer and that type of playmaker for your team and give your team three points even when nothing else is going right offensively, that's a really good thing to have. 
Yeah, and and it's happening to a great kid. Um, he was, uh, I, I know for you and, and for Gary and everybody else, he was a just a fun guy to cover. And um, and heck, you know, we know he's a great kid because he went to Raleigh Broughton High School, and only only good people come out of Broughton High School. Um, he's the uh, I, yeah, I hear he's the second best athlete to ever come out. <laughs> well, I was, uh, uh, I'll tell you what, he's the at least the second best basketball player. I, I give myself, I'm number three on that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Pete Maravich's high school uh, was was Raleigh Broughton. So, um, so I was, I was making Pete third. <laughs> okay. Well, I will uh, uh, compliment accepted. So. All right, nobody covers KU basketball, KU athletics uh, like Jesse Newell for the Kansas City Star. Jesse, thanks for hanging out with us today. Appreciate it, Blair. Thanks. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And... As always, thanks for listening. Cecil Lammy covers the Denver Broncos. He's the host and uh, football insider for 104.3 The Fan in Denver. He's a senior writer for footballguys.com. Nobody knows the Broncos like Cecil. Hey, man, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, you know, it's a big game this weekend, kind of a litmus test for where the Broncos could be in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a, a big reason that it's something of a – litmus test is uh is because of the quarterback and i'll tell you folks in kansas city we're, we're small town enough here in kansas city to keep up with all the the former high school and, and college uh players that were you know they were locally produced and um and everybody's kind of is is excited about drew Locke at quarterback uh, i think that chiefs fans certainly wish he was not playing in the division but here he is <laughs> Here he is, and coming to Arrowhead, uh, playing in the stadium for the second time in his life. He played a college game for Mizzou as a freshman there. But, you know, he, uh, look, these last two weeks have been something else for Drew Locke. And uh, I, I don't know if, um, how has his success altered the way people look and think about the Broncos going forward? I think it's altered it in a huge way and it's just been two games and no one's putting a yellow jacket on them or anything like that. But I think Broncos country has been re-energized by Drew Locke because of that game, you know, game breaking ability because of his ability to keep plays alive because there is a dash, a small dash. He's not Pat Mahomes. I kind of get mad when people bring up like, he's like Pat Mahomes. Like, no, he's not. Nobody's like Patrick Mahomes, but (laughs) Drew Locke has a little bit of that. Uh, Vic Fangio calls it athletic arrogance, right? Where it's the chips are down. I'm the guy to get it done. He's the guy with that big arm. He's got the athleticism to get to the second play, you know, because the first play he calls fine. 
but it's all about those guys like Lamar Jackson, like Pat Mahomes, like Aaron Rodgers that can beat you on that second play. Drew Locke has that ability. Still rough around the edges, plenty to work on. But I think just think overall, this went from uh, you know a team where everyone was down, Vance Joseph for two years, everyone's down, Vic Fangio, it's not working. You know, fire John Elway has been said multiple times across the airwaves and across the fan base. Now, in two games with Drew Locke, it seems like there's this breath of fresh air and people are really excited about what this future could hold, maybe even as soon as next year. You know, it, so so Drew Locke starts against the Chargers and and they win the game. They got kind of got lucky on that pass interference at the end yeah. and, and, and it allowed the Broncos to win that game, pull it out and thought, Okay, what what a great story, and we all were happy for him uh, in Kansas City. But what he did the following week at Houston uh, was just jaw dropping good, and that's what I think for for me anyway. That's what took his potential to to the a different level. And tell us a little bit about his game at Houston and what what went so right for him in the offense last weekend. They kept attacking, you know, with Cortland Sutton attracting a lot of attention, as I imagine he will from Kansas City on Sunday as well. Uh, you saw that Drew Locke spread the ball around, had no problem, didn't just lock on to one guy and try to force it there to Cortland Sutton, who was double covered for most of the day. And that's why you saw him have a rather down day. But you saw that Drew Locke was able to, you know, keep his wits about him. He was getting beat up, quite frankly. The right guard, Austin Schlotman, was getting him killed on multiple throws. But it didn't change the fact that he didn't want to take the check down. He wanted to be aggressive. He wanted to go downfield. And he's got that arm where he can throw it at the last second and he can fit it at the tight window. So you saw him stay cool and calm under fire. And you saw him become the first rookie in NFL history with 300 yards and three touchdowns in his first road start of his career. And getting that W for the Broncos was very important because it's all about keeping up with Kansas City. That's what ever since Pat Mahomes sets on the field for the Chiefs, Everyone's like, that's different, that's special, we don't have one of those. And the rest of the division, you know, whatever happens to the Raiders and the Chargers, like, uh, it doesn't matter. It matters about keeping up with Kansas City. And when you have a guy like Drew Locke, again, two games, not getting too excited, but you feel like maybe you do have a chance. You know, if you build your defense, if you run the ball, like Drew Locke out there against the Texans showed you that here's a young quarterback that's willing to be aggressive, that will go through multiple reads, that will look for multiple receivers, and the moment isn't too big for him, even if it's in a tough, not a tough zero head, but a tough place to play like NRG Stadium down there in Houston. Well, we are all looking forward to uh, to Sunday's game, noon kickoff here, and I, I saw that you, you picked the Broncos, or I'm sorry, you picked the Chiefs to win it. I, I yes. did too. Um, I, 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 it would be, boy, I tell you what, it'd be a heck of a story if Denver came in here and won, stopped the, their eight game losing streak to Kansas City. What, uh, what, what, why, why the Chiefs? Why'd you go with the Chiefs in this one? Yeah, and I just looked merely at the firepower that is presented by Mahomes and company. And I, I wrote my game plan today. I actually have adjusted the score a couple of different times. But I'm thinking about 27 points for the Chiefs. I'm thinking about 17 for the Denver Broncos. And, and simply put, can't keep Mahomes down for that long. Chris Harris Jr. is going to be on Tyreek Hill. That's fine. Tyreek's still going to get his. You know, the last game they faced off against Travis Kelsey, and we all remember Mahomes knocked out of that game, so here comes Matt Moore. But Travis Kelsey had the worst yardage total of the season so far against right. the Broncos earlier. You, you can't really keep that down. If Mahomes is in there, he's not getting 44 yards. 
he's getting 88 yards and a touchdown or two, you know? So like just with that, and I, I often said a guy like McCall Hardman, he's a sneaky play. You know, if you're a fantasy GM and you're like, Who's, who can I add from this offense? Like McCall Hardman, it takes one play like it did against New England. It's one catch for 48 and a touchdown. So when you have Watkins, Hardman, Hill, uh, Kelsey, don't know about the backfield. The Chiefs don't really commit to running the ball anyway, but you just have those type of weapons at the disposal of Pat Mahomes. Broncos defense is solid, but there's holes to pick on and ones that I believe the Chiefs will, and that's why they'll come out as 10-point victors on Sunday, in my opinion. Nobody covers the Broncos better than Cecil Lammy. Cecil, thanks for joining us, my friend. I appreciate it. Any, anytime. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. That'll do it for another week of Sports BKC presented by Big O Tires. Like all podcasts, we number ours, and this happens to be number 100 since becoming a daily enterprise. I wanted to thank those who have appeared on the show, especially the talented sports writers of the Kansas City Star. This show doesn't happen without them, and I can't thank them enough for their cooperation in making Sports BKC work. And then there are those on the other side of the mic. We used to kid around that the other podcasts would need to carve out a chunk of time to review their credits, and we just need a line to thank that day's producer. Well, that's still mostly the case, but the number of people who have contributed to the success of the show, well, you do need a chunk. So here it is. Thanks, Kathy Liu, Leah Becerra, Derek Donovan, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, Mike Fannin, Greg Farmer, Chris Oshner, Monty Davis, Todd Feedback, Neil Nakahoto, Rich Sugg, Jill Toyashiba, Tammy Youngblood, and everyone else who's pitched in. Thank you much. We'll be back on Monday for episode number 101, and I already know the topic, Chiefs Broncos. We'll talk to you then.